Hi, Brem. How are you doing? Hi, Mel. I'm good. Thank you very much. It's a little chilly now. Winter is coming in the Northern Hemisphere anyway. <laughs> I know. I I do want to moan, if I, if I can be honest about the weather, because I think it's seven days of very, very cold weather. But we have Sharon Tayfield, who is the Director of Global Payroll Services, Global Outsourcing at BDO. Um, and I'm really excited about today's discussion because um, Sharon is a little bit famous around the world in, in payroll. So I'm looking forward to learning new things about Sharon. Hi Sharon, lovely to have you with us. Thank you, Graham, and thank you, Mel, for that introduction. It's good to be here on a chilly Friday morning. Perhaps if I can jump in just with a, a, a first question. Um, do you remember your first pay slip, the first time you were paid? Well, I do, but it's a very long time away. <laughs> and so, I'd be embarrassed to say how long ago. Well, we can skip over how long. <laughs> but uh, if you cast your mind back, do you do you happen to remember? Was that uh, cash in a in a little envelope with a little printed payslip? Was it a bank transfer? Was it a check? What did your first pay look like? So my first pay um, was a transfer because obviously I come from South Africa originally, um, and you would never give anybody cash. Too dangerous. Oh. Uh, and checks were so easily um, changed. So fraud was very, very high. So bank transfer, first paycheck. First paycheck. And do you happen to remember what you spent that first paycheck on? I do. Um, I paid my rent in my first little place. That's very practical. Um, and paid back some of my education loans. So, yeah, um, I do remember. I think it's really interesting to say because mm. I, I remember my first one and it, mm. it was like a little plastic bag. And then it was the pace, like payslip, not like a normal payslip, but, you know, just yes. told me what I got paid. And then it was like cash, you know, like little coins yeah. and whatever. Yeah. And that was with my paper round. Uh, but I would never have, I didn't even have a bank account then, you know, yeah. and for you to say it's such a um, a difference, isn't it? Because different countries are, you know, yes. you're saying there's fraud yeah. and you just wouldn't do that. Mm. I would never have thought that, mm. you know, long time ago that you would have yeah. had a bank transfer. Yeah. So we obviously that was my first salary check. Hmm. In my university days when I did casual work, yes, then we did get paid um, every day so that you weren't carrying a lot of cash for the same reason uh, I've just okay. said. So you would get paid on a daily basis if you were a, a, a student working during your VAC breaks. Excellent. And then it was your responsibility to put that somewhere safe to pay the rent or just to go out and blow it on whatever students yeah. spent their money on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So excellent. So you touched on that being your first, um, your first paycheck mm. and mm. Uh, your first mm. working role. So um, your background's quite interesting in terms of um, you know people in, in the conversations we've mm. had around this podcast. People have sort of fallen into to payroll often quite early on in their careers. Um, and although you're uh, trained in finance mm. and, and came through the finance route, you spent the first part of your career um, doing something completely different. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and how that led you to payroll. Okay, so in the beginning of time, <laughs> um, I actually taught. So I was a, a high school teacher, and I, one of the subjects I taught was accounting and maths. Um, I then moved on to work for the uh, tax authorities, um, and from there moved into a company, well, very large corporate company in outsourcing. Um, and the outsourcing was property management. So it covered everything from keeping a building clean to paying wages to finances because we manage properties for large 
insurance companies. Uh, and obviously, I worked my way up there to financial director and payroll was one of the departments that reported into me. Um, I outsourced my executive payroll to a company who I shan't name, <laughs> uh, but I outsourced it to an exec- to a payroll outsourcing company mm-hmm. because our executives in those days had large amounts of structuring. Okay, and if, if I just elaborate on that, it, in those days, the revenue authorities allowed you to structure your salary and anything that you'd structured out, you didn't pay tax on it. Uh-huh. So we gave the right to structure to the executives only. So the executive payroll was outsourced and the rest of the payroll was done Mm -hmm. in-house. Kind of long story short, I terminated the services of the outsourced company because of uh, ongoing errors that they'd made. And I then joined them to lead them (laughs) and uh, to take them on a global path. And right. that's how I moved into payroll. So I went from, you know, FD of an of an outsourced property company, moved across to the payroll company and stayed with them for many years. Um, and then took up, a, my husband then transferred to the UK and I took up a position with a company that ADP then bought a, a few mm. years ago, mm. not so many years ago, but mm-hmm. I joined them uh, and led their London office. And then I actually went back to the company from Africa and continued to work with them because I was doing a lot of business development for them and looking for new clients, especially in the UK, who were looking to move into Africa mm-hmm. because Africa was our sweet spot. Mm. So I'm just, I, I'd love yeah. to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. As a finance director, you've got problems with a payroll provider. It's it's complicated, structured executive pay. These are, these are not individuals who are going to be happy if no one's ever happy if their pay goes wrong. But you hear a lot more, I suspect, if it's a senior executive payroll. Um, and that's, that's almost a jiu-jitsu move to turn around and then say, well, come and join us and show us how to fix it. Um, so, th- I mean, that's... Did you did you have to spend a long time thinking about that, or was it just a such a logical jump to go and roll up your sleeves and fix something that you felt was broken? I, I think it was a logical jump for me because I relished the opportunity of I'm going to go and fix this now, and mm-hmm. I'm going to grow it, um, and that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, there was a huge amount of fun in the beginning. There, there mm-hmm. was a lot of tears and stress, but. The fun part came when we when we achieved the success, um, and those you know the clients that we worked with in the early days are still clients of the, of that company, and I still have uh, some connection with that company in terms of you know wherever I can, I would recommend them. Mm. Well, that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> mm. Do you feel like it's like it was your baby once? It it was my baby. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, if you come into so you're a finance director and an outsourcing mm. property management business. So you, you clearly understand the operational side and, and how mm. to run the detail. I'd love to hear how you approached sort of diagnosing the problems in this payroll company when you went in and then how you designed a solution that, that got you to, you know, to the journey that you then took. But that, that first kind of 90 days as you, as you took on the challenge and stepped mm. in and said, okay, we're going to fix this. What did the process look like for you as a leader going into that organization? So I think the, the first process was to make sure that the, the clients that were still clients of the company, that their staff got paid. That was priority number one, without any doubt. And whilst doing that, 
just to do a root cause analysis and go, well, what is causing the issues? Where are we struggling? Why is it taking so long? What are the the errors that we are coming up with and how do we address that? Um, and then we actually did a radical decision. We got rid of the software that we had and started developing their own in-house software mm-hmm. um, and making sure that as we built that, it accommodates it for all the things that we'd listed that were issues. Mm. And so, so it was a very systematic approach, I'd say. Yeah. And and do you remember how that actual root cause analysis process worked? Was that bringing in everybody into the room once? Was it a series of separate workshops? You know, if you were if you were offering practical advice to somebody in that same place today, how would you suggest doing that in depth deep dive right across the business root cause analysis? I think obviously communication is key to it, um, and you need people to to speak to each other. Fortunately, we were all sitting in one open plan office. uh, And so you could hear the frustrations as people were dealing with things. And we had a whiteboard as well in in the room on which we listed things. So as they cropped up, you were encouraged to go and write on the board what the issue was. Um, And then after the monthly processing to go back, look at it and say, well, how are we going to address this? Is Is it a quick win? Can we fix it immediately or do we need to do some further planning to see how we can address it um, in as fast a time as possible? That sounds like really satisfying. Hard yeah. work, but yep. when you got the wins, really satisfying. Yes, no, definitely. It, it sounds like you were given quite a free reign by, I'm guessing, the owners of that business. You said, yes. well, come on in and then fix it. And then and then they just let you have at it and you have the whiteboard and you're, you're, mm. you're gathering all of the information. Mm. But that's a big step to move to developing software. Did the, did the company have those sort of resources in place or, or did that was that something you had to build? Um, so f- just before I joined, uh, probably about two months before I joined, um, they a person joined them who is now one of the directors of that company and he had very strong IT skills. Mm. So it all dovetailed in, in that, you know, I'd come on board, he was there and we went, the, the platform that we are using is not fit for purpose. We need to come up with a better solution in order to grow this business um, and make it successful. And so I was fortunate. I was very fortunate that I was given that free reign um, and that I could work closely with them. And as I said, you know, that's obviously transpired into a, a very long friendship. Um, but yes, yeah, fortunate. I, I think I think in the in the broader industry as a whole mm. over the last, let's say, 20 years, um, as as we've progressed mm. from manual processing to doing everything in Excel to then doing, um, you know, work in, in software, there is a, a sort of expectation that software can occasionally be the magic bullet or will will solve the problems, but only I guess if the the requirement specification work is done in a way that you you capture all the details. And, and and so what were your takeaways from working on the development of software for payroll? I think you've hit on it in the first statement. It's not the magic bullet. Um, it's an enabler. I think the service that you provide your clients is actually what matters the most. Uh, And in the early days, it was having difficult conversations with the clients and apologizing for the service that they had experienced and working, you know, giving them a clear roadmap of where we were going. So that definitely the uh, communication with the clients is critical. But then 
moving back to um, looking at the the software, definitely getting a clear sort of plan of what you're wanting to achieve and mapping it all out is critical because I think sometimes if you just do ad hoc development, you end up with a spaghetti box and it's really difficult to unwind everything at a later stage. So I think having that clear vision up front and being able to think it through is critical. And as I said, we were very fortunate that the person that joined had vast experience um, and also was a qualified accountant, but with an IT background, which really helped because understood the financial impact, understood payroll, but also had the IT experience. And that's a very rare person to find because normally you'd find an IT person who has no idea of payroll. And that's more challenging because you then have to really uh, define every single step in the process down to the nth degree. Mm. And it is interesting with payroll. I mean, you came to payroll with mm. a finance background and you know, broadly payroll either ladders up mm. through finance or it, it ladders up through, through HR. Um, both of whom have quite different languages sometimes for how they talk about their objectives. Um, but certainly, I think in the last five or 10 years, the, the role that corporate IT plays um, in a lot of organizations is changing. So IT are more part of the conversation. But as you say, they they bring a, most of the time, they bring a completely separate vocabulary or history and understanding. So you have these three separate um, histories on any yes. major payroll project these days. Mm. So how did you navigate that I mean, obviously, you had the finance background, but I'm I'm assuming that that there were HR people inputting as well as the IT and and accounting folks to to what the ideal solution looks like. So it, we didn't actually have HR per se, but what we did have was um, we asked our clients. So we went and asked them what they were looking for. Uh, to ensure that we delivered that to them as well. And that's where the HR came in because you're right, most of the, the companies would either have HR heading up their payroll or a finance person. Um, and generally, I'd say it was about 50-50. So we had the voice of both sets. Um, and then we also had one of our staff members uh, did have experience previously in HR. So that, that obviously helped, but we didn't actually have you know, sort of very high level person with the HR view. It was the clients that we we took on board to to develop that side. And and uh, Mel, you 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 spent a lot of time talking about payroll as a career and and developing the the payroll professionals. So, Sharon, in your experience, how easy was it then to find the talent that you needed inside the organisation? And and did did the change in tools, the change in focus, how did that change the skills you were you were looking for? So in terms of the skills, um, Mel and I were just speaking about it earlier. I think at the moment, there is a skill shortage within the profession. Um, looking back, when I first went to this company, we took we tried to find people that had previous experience and then taught them how to use the tool uh, and enabled them to be able to deliver to the clients. We also hit a problem back then where we couldn't find resources. And what we did was took in trainees and trained them. So took in graduates from university or colleges and then gave them an intensive training period to get them up to speed, but also reached out and, and did training. I mean, you know, I've known Mel for many years. In fact, I was at the one of the first um, GPA award ceremonies back in the day. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, but it's to to use those resources that are available and to make sure that your staff are being trained and kept up to date, both from a technical perspective. So whichever countries you're dealing with, make sure that they've got some input into how to run payroll in that country, but also giving them the softer skills that they need from an HR perspective of dealing with clients um, and then giving them other skills like project management skills or you know how to deal with difficult conversations because sometimes you do need to have those difficult conversations with clients yeah. and it's giving equipping them and making sure that they've got that skill set. You know when obviously before we had a chat before um, mm. we joined this morning, mm. why do you think there is an issue at the moment to resource or find new talent in the payroll industry because, it is a, a global issue, and mm. I think it's a subject I discuss every week with different people. I think for me, people are looking for, I know it sounds cheesy, but a more balanced life. And many people don't want to work five days a week. Um, and as we were saying, Mel, earlier, payroll is, I always refer to it as a hamster wheel. It just keeps spinning. And you need a special type of person to deal with that. Not everybody wants to do it and not everybody likes doing it. But there are people who really thrive on that constant um, sense of satisfaction. Every single month when you've completed the payroll cycle, there's that sense of satisfaction. And it's that, I suppose, that um, those type of people that we need to attract. And I think we should be going into the universities and the colleges and and probably advertising payroll more than what we have. I know, mm. obviously, in the last few years, there has been a big push towards lifting the global payroll professional and even lifting the payroll profession. But if you think back five or six years ago, there wasn't that. Um, and it was definitely a backroom type of environment where people felt that they couldn't really achieve much. I think also the recent um, board level appointments have helped to, has has helped to lift the payroll professional. So getting a you know a seat at the table um, has really helped. Because we've um, interviewed quite a lot of people, and what mm. amazes me, and I you know I've been in mm. recruitment for twenty years, and I don't know why you know I've never mm. picked up on this, but anyway, um, there's people from amazing backgrounds. So we've had people that mm. trained as a lawyer, or mm. somebody was a scientist, and I was talking to somebody this week who we will be interviewing who was mm. um, into geology. Uh, you know, so all these different sorts of backgrounds. So they, they they weren't and obviously you're you were a teacher, but yeah. um, you know, so I think we have to sort of think outside the box as well, how we try and get these people into the payroll industry. Because there are so many people that are at a high level or they've worked through the ranks mm. that actually had started off with no no you know way of thinking of getting into payroll you know scientist into payroll but actually their skill set does fit into what it they does do fit. in the payroll industry yeah because if you think about a scientist they've got to continue to work at something until they achieve the results and it's that persistence that I think you need uh, and not everybody has it and that's fine because you know there's lots of other things that people can do but I think when you go into payroll it's that's one of the sort of must-haves is the reality of it is 
an ongoing process. There's never a time in the in the year uh, when you can go, well, I've got nothing to do this month. Um, there's always something to do. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and what, always. What is it, always something. One of the things we um, were discussing was that maybe people are, have still got fatigue um, because obviously there, there was a lot going on during COVID and now we're coming back to normal, but there's been one thing after another. So do you think some people are leaving the industry because there is that sort of fatigue? I think so. I think, as I said, I think people have reassessed their balance in their own lives. And a lot of people have said, this is too stressful. This is, you know, I'm I'm tired. I'm tired of doing the same thing month after month. Um, and so there is definitely an element of that, in my opinion. Um, and I- we just need to work and see how we can overcome that. Yeah. Hopefully once they've had a break, they'll come back in. Mm. Maybe yes. they need like a little breather. <laughs> so as, as you think about where the, where the industry is going, how do you think technology can help with that? Because there is some discussion around how technology takes mm. away some of the manual and repetitive tasks. And almost in that last few years, robotic process automation and technology, which people at one point seemed to be afraid were going to take jobs, is now a case of, well, that might actually make my life more interesting because I don't have to do the manual processing in mm. quite the same way. What what do you see coming over the horizon that could help with that from a technology perspective? So I think technology is an enabler, but it's definitely not going to take away everything because at the end of the day, someone's still got to make a decision. Um, and there's always something that is going to require you to review it and look at it. And I think if we get into a mindset that the technology is going to be, as we spoke about earlier, the magic bullet, it's not, um, but it's definitely an enabler. But it releases the payroll professional to then concentrate on the bigger picture and some of the other items that that perhaps they have not had the opportunity to look at. So I think one of the things is that doing a root cause analysis every single month of any issues um, will become more of a norm for payroll professionals. And I think if if they don't have that enabling IT infrastructure, they don't have the time to do that. And so all that you're doing is, you know, go back to the hamster wheel. You're just getting on the hamster wheel and just going around and around. But I think the IT technology allows you the, the, the time to step off it and to go, well, is there can I do this better? Is there something else we can do? Uh, you know, can we tweak our IT um, technology so that we can overcome a problem that we've encountered? Mm. And I, I certainly feel, Mel, we, we touched mm. on the fact that, you know, mm. looking backwards now at the COVID years, still very much an mm. issue in different parts of the world and in different different countries. But there was that moment where people looked at the industry and said, something's going to need to change, right? just in the way the government bought regulation and the, the amount of pressure the payroll professional was under and just on that hamster wheel for, for two years, driving that level of, of exhaustion almost. But there is almost this moment in time then to, to pause before the new normal, whatever that looks like, emerges and say, okay, how do we intentionally want payroll to be different going forwards? Or how do we build in time to do that, that root cause analysis? And I think that that's that's a question for leaders in their organizations in terms of what capacity do they need in their function? 
And I think it's something people are struggling with a little bit. We, we did some research recently. There's about 25% of people who responded to that, that survey had lost more than 10% of their department in terms of just that staff turnover issue that we were, we were touching on. And nearly half of them were struggling to recruit externally. So in, in you've gone through a major transformation a couple of times with, with businesses. How do you make that time as a leader to step back and think about what happens next and intentionally design something different because the pressure on you must have been immense going through that transformation mm. of the South African organization to get it done. So how would you how would you encourage listeners or what what structure can they take to make time in their diary to think and reflect and plan for the next piece? I think one of the big things uh, and goes back even before uh, my payroll career is I think it's really important for leadership to take the time out as a group, um, whether it's two days or three days, to step away from the business and just to brainstorm. No agenda in terms of you know what needs to be discussed, but to come at it with fresh eyes. I think that's always helpful. Now, that is quite an extravagant ask for some businesses, but I think the, the fruits that come from that are enormous. And it gives you know, a wide spectrum of people the ability to have a say in it. So if you are working in an organization, for example, try and, and take a day out with the HR person, the finance person yourself and go away and say, what can we do together um, to make this process smoother um, and, and to listen to each other? I think that's helpful. If you don't have that luxury, then obviously specific meetings set aside and time set aside to do the same sort of thing um, would be very helpful. But I think it's really important to listen to everybody's point of view because sometimes something that we think might be a very quick win in payroll, for example, if it's not communicated in other departments, is not going to help. So you've always got that adage that um, – Payroll gets data that is not clean from HR. Uh, it's looking at how do we get that clean data? And it goes even upstream. You know, Mel was talking about recruiting. Well, do we start at the recruiting process? Is that where we get the clean data from? And how do we ensure that it flows through the organization and gets to payroll in a state that it can be totally automated? We've been talking, um, sorry, Graham, we've been uh, talking a, a lot about um, payroll becoming friends with other departments mm. <laughs> and really, really making an effort mm. to build that relationship. Mm. And if there's any blockers in the business to really try and build that relationship, do you think that's something that you you consciously do? Yes, I think building those, you know, those relationships are critical. Um, and it's also building relationships with any partners that you have. I know Graham was speaking earlier um, about being on stage at the partnership network. Um, and it's building those relationships and making sure that your partners are part of your strategy and your long-term vision. Because if you don't have them as part of your strategy and long-term vision, whether they are external partners, partners or whether it's your internal um, organization, it's going to be very difficult for you to achieve your end goal. So it's definitely, you know, important that you engage with them. And I, I think that takes us back to 
the multi-country aspect mm. of um, payroll. And, and mm. when, when you were talking about Africa, was that a single country within Africa or the, the, the many wide and varied countries across the continent of Africa that you were, you were working across? Many and varied. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think you, you touched on, you know, you went through this transformation mm. and then there was fun and there was joy. Mm. And, and I think that's one of the very interesting things about global payroll is that when systems and processes are working, when you've done the root cause analysis and, and things are working, that hamster wheel can become almost a, a flywheel of, of effectiveness and positive feedback and reinforcement. You know, you can feel when a payroll function is, is working well. And then it opens up all kinds of personal opportunities to experience different cultures working in, mm. in, in global payroll. Um, so I'd love you if you could talk a little bit more about some of those experiences, some of the more positive experiences that came from the transformation and some of the joy that you've been able to take from working in global roles. You've, you've, you've covered the continent of Africa, you've moved to the UK, you've seen multiple different geographies. And I think sometimes that gets overlooked as well in, in payroll as a, as a career. It is this doorway to, to such a different set of experiences. It definitely is. But it's also, you know, going back to the global payroll as, as itself, it's a career that embraces many different facets. So it embraces finance, it embraces HR, it embraces tax legislation, uh, it embraces multicultural relationships. Um, so it, it really is exciting from that point of view. So never mind the hamster wheel, that excitement of that varied job is something that for appeals to me as a person. Um, in terms of the working with multi uh, countries, I think it's really exciting to, number one, get to know that country, their culture, how they operate, understand them, and also understand, obviously, their, their payroll, what happens in the country, um, and ensuring that we are open to, to working with them, because it is different ones. Um, Going back to when I started, we moved into global when I was with a company in Africa because one of our clients was a small investment bank, started off with one country in Africa, and then as they grew, we grew with them. So we grew the software and we widened our net. Um, and that was exciting because it was a journey with a client and we had their support all of the way. So they would feed back to us information that they'd found out. It was a mutual relationship, which was really exciting. And is probably one of the things that remain in my sort of one of my treasured memories because it was so special. You know, they didn't view us as a client they've, or as a service provider. They viewed us as a partner mm. and we were in partnership with them. So they would call us and say, you know, we are thinking of moving into this country and we would take a deep breath um, because we'd heard all the horror stories about that country, but they were there to support us. So it was that mutual relationship um, that really was something special. Uh, and then it was engaging in those countries and making sure, as I said, that we understood how to operate in those countries. In my current role, obviously, we're using um, LSPs or service providers or RCPs, whatever we want to call them this morning. But the in-country teams that we use, again, it's about making sure that we can work with them, that we're supporting them in how they work, 
that we're providing them with information that is helpful to them and that they can service us as best that they can so that we can together service our clients. And and sometimes those partner relationships are very much a function of what you bring to the conversation yourselves, you know, in terms of, mm. of being open, being transparent, genuine partnership, as you were describing your client, mm. um, allowing you as a service provider to be successful. And that dialogue of, of almost or designing together how you go into mm. that country uh, successfully. So with a clear idea of what success looks like, but also a, a shared set mm. of ideas over how you actually get there and it feels like a realistic timetable because mm. at times you're building software there by the sounds of it and that doesn't happen yes. overnight in terms of, of how you get into mm. a, a new country so that that's 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 quite exciting and it suggests um you know you've had the opportunity to work with some very rounded insightful leaders across different businesses so just reflecting on your career today you don't have to name them but i'd, I'd be fascinated to to hear who's the best leader that you've ever worked with and and what made them that best leader for you? Can I choose two? You can. <laughs> so I had a, a fantastic leader when I was in the property management outsourcing business um, who taught me many of my sort of early uh, skills um, and encouraged me and really helped me uh, to move into a management level role and then also to become part of the board of directors. Um, and so a great admiration for that person. And then in the payroll industry, um, a lady who has been interviewed on the series before, um, and I started working with her um, as an as a in-country service provider. Um, and great admiration for her because she grew a business to a very large successful business which your organization then bought Um, and again it was she had a passion for payroll Mm. a real passion for payroll and she grew the business from in her basement in the US of A um, to a very large organization that had offices around the world Mm. and yes her her enthusiasm, her passion, her drive was just infectious. Um, and her ability to grow the business mm. was astounding. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a really, it's actually a really good podcast. Um, can I say who, who it is? Sharon? Yes, go on. <laughs> oh, it's, it's Michelle. So yes. it's Michelle and Michael. Yes. And um, one thing um, that stood out when we recorded the podcast was she discussed, she was mentioned, or she discussed mm. the beginning, the really hard time of like, can we pay staff? Can we pay bills? Can we pay? And then you look at what she achieved is amazing. Yes. Yeah. So I started working with Michelle when it was just herself and two other employees because they had mm. a client who was coming into Africa. Um, mm. And so I was the the in-country partner. I was working for the company in Africa and we partnered with them and that company is still a partner now um, and was at your celebrations, Graham. Excellent. And uh, I mean, it was it was a lovely, mm. we, we, we bring people together mm. every year across mm. that partner network. And obviously we've, we've had to do it virtually for the last couple mm. of years, but it is such a joy to be back in person. Mm. 
and um, connect with individuals with such deep experience and understanding of their their markets. And you know, Michelle's moved on to her next passion project, which is yes. um, you know informed by some of her kids' experiences of, of early days financial wellness. And um, I just think she's going to do amazing things. She always does. Um, so yeah, it's lovely to hear that she's had that that impact on you as well. Because mm-hmm. I know she touched a lot of a lot of lives across the, the payroll industry with that uh, with that yeah. business and and with her approach. Um, it was interesting you talked about the first leader on the the property side, mm. and you know we 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 we're mm. specifically interviewing women leaders around this series because you know there are um, preconceptions about some of the challenges that women face stepping up into leadership, um, some of the obstacles that they may encounter on on their journey. Um, one of those is is how individuals know they're ready, and um, you know it's it's a it's a I'm going to say established fact, it might be debated, but, you know, men will put themselves forward if they've got, you know, 30, 40, 50% of the job skills listed on a job description. And empirically, women tend to want to have 80 to 90% of, of, of the experience before putting themselves forward. How did that leader encourage you to step forward, to step onto the board of directors, to, to know, how did you know you were ready? And what advice would you give other female leaders coming through today to how to know when they're ready, how to challenge their own fears and concerns about progression and and speed of progression. So first of all, he was almost like a father figure. Um, So he gave me guidance. He um, gave me a lot of encouraging um, advice, Uh, but he also made sure that I was set for success in terms of he gave me projects that moved me up the corporate ladder, um, giving me more and more responsibilities, but always making sure that I knew he was there if I needed his support. And then at the point at which he felt um, that I was ready, he encouraged me to take that step. Uh, And it was it was a daunting um, time, I'll be honest with you, because I was the only female in a room of 20 other males. So I was a, a female on the board of directors with no other females, which was difficult in one sense, but in another sense, uh, quite an, a proud moment for me as a woman. Um, we then, obviously, there were more women that were appointed, but I was just very fortunate, as I said, and, and really um, thankful that I was given that opportunity and thankful that he was there to provide that guidance and that support. Oh, so once you were on the board and as the only mm. woman, were there any obvious challenges as being the only woman or were you accepted into the, the fold of the other, the other men and as the group? I was accepted and I know I'm very fortunate in that regard mm. because I know that other people have really struggled with that. But as I said, I was really blessed is a word I like to use. I was blessed. I was blessed with having a superb role model leader um, who taught me and encouraged me. Um, and that is something that I treasure. And I think there's a real there's a real difference between hearing about that experience and living that experience. Mm. And, and, and ju- just very recently, I was invited to attend 
a women in leadership event that that ADP hosts. We have a, a, a network of, of women leaders, mm. and I, I attended in person. It was a terrific opportunity to um, learn and, and and experience more across the payroll industry. But for the first time in my life, and I'm not a spring chicken, for the first time in my life, I walked into a room and there was only me as the male in the room. And we've had the conversation before, Mel. You and I mm. have, have talked about this and some of the challenges, and I know this and I hear this. And But to actually experience it for, for, for men listening, it, it, until, I mean, I'm over 50. That was the first time that it ever happened to me. And it was a moment where I reflected and thought, gosh, this is an everyday experience for so many of my colleagues. But it wasn't until I lived it that I actually felt I even understood it. And then a fairly superficial understanding because it was a fairly low stakes environment. So I'm, I just, I think it's interesting if people are listening to that story, there is a huge difference between listening it and experiencing it in all senses of diversity and inclusion. I think there's still a long way to, to go um, across the industry, but I think payroll is incredibly inclusive. People stand on their merits in, in payroll, perhaps more than in some other industry sectors. I would agree with that. I think that in the payroll sector, um, there is far more women uh, in top positions than there are in other professions. So it is something that, you know, we can be proud of. So as you look back, what, if anything, would you, what advice would you offer your younger self? Oh, um, to make bolder decisions. Because sometimes I think we talk ourselves out of a decision. Um, and it was interesting when you were talking about the fact that uh, research has shown that women want to match a job role, you know, with a higher percentage than men do. And I, I can relate to that because looking back, my younger self would have looked at something and, and been very critical and gone, oh, no, no, you don't have all these attributes. You can't put yourself forward. I think now my sort of older self goes, actually, there isn't anybody who is going to have 100%. And I suppose it's that wisdom, wisdom that comes with it. So I would encourage people, my younger self and younger listeners to say, don't be scared to raise your hand. Don't be scared to step out. Um, the worst thing that can happen is you don't get it. But if you don't try, you won't know. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think almost partnering that with then being willing to take the help and the support mm. and the guidance. So people, and I love that. Nobody ever regrets mm the big decisions they made perhaps but perhaps <laughs> the decisions they didn't make or the opportunities they didn't take but then you know actually going through and using the people around you mm. to make sure that you're successful and leaning on them and their advice and their experience um i think there's 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 so much opportunity ahead so let's let's look ahead at, at, at payroll over the next 10 years what do you what do you think will be different what will what will change uh, i see far more um integration with different platforms. So time and attendance, for example, I know that they already exist, but I think that there'll be even more uh, a sort of a requirement to integrate between time and attendance, HR, payroll. Um, and it, it won't just be something that's nice to have. I think it will become a necessity as organizations grow, especially if we continue to struggle with skills shortages, because, you know, Whilst IT and AI is not the silver bullet, it's certainly going to reduce the mundane tasks and make sure that those are performed accurately. Um, so I would 
say that any organization that is perhaps still doing a lot of things manually needs to take a rain check and review how they are going to overcome that in in the next 10 years. Um, And then I think that there is going to be a move, well, more of a move uh, in terms of tax legislation around payroll, because I think governments around the world are all struggling with finances. And we all know that one of the easiest ways for governments to uh, get funding is to ask the payroll professionals to bring the funding via the payroll, because it's something that works and works well. And we saw that, you know, during COVID where we were asked in the UK to pay employees through the payroll, uh, claim it back. So I think there'll be more of that happening around the world um, where governments are trying to get funding, perhaps are providing uh, reimbursements to workers, but that would need to be necessitated via the payroll. So I think that that needs to be taken into consideration as well in terms of of the future. Um, And then I think it's getting new blood into the organisation. We desperately need the new blood to come in because we need um, people who are going to become the leaders of tomorrow. And it's getting those people on board. Um, So in the next 10 years, I think that's going to be our biggest challenge is attracting talent and keeping talent, nurturing the talent and ensuring that they are there to take over the reins uh, when those of us who are more mature have moved on to other projects. One one thing I wanted to ask you, Sharon, mm. is that I think you're one of the best networkers in the industry. And we always talk about, you know, part of the payroll is a career campaign is actually payroll needs to get out there and be seen. Is it a, are you a natural networker or do you have to get out of your comfort zone? I have to go out of my comfort zone. And again, that was thanks to a friend who was a great networker and gave me this, the confidence and the skills. Um, I was a non-executive director on a charity, or not a charity, but uh, some. he was running a program in Africa to encourage science in students. But he was a, an amazing networker. You couldn't walk into any room or any um, sort of establishment and he didn't know somebody. Uh, And I asked him, you know, how do you do it? And so he shared and that gave me the courage to do that. Um, And so, yeah, it's you need to ask. I think sometimes we also are afraid to ask because we think people will think that we uh, will think less of us if we ask. But asking for help is also something that that's really important. Um, and if you see somebody that's got a skill set that you really admire or you would like, ask them. Um, you know, I'm sure that they will take the time to share with you how to do it and what to do. I think that I mean that that beautifully mm. sums up if mm. we think about the direction of the mm. the payroll professional and the direction of of the industry that curiosity, that willingness to learn, to adopt new technologies, to ask for help because we're, we're blazing a new trail for, for, for yeah. payroll, I guess, in terms of you know that uh, the way it's been done before. There's lots of good in that in terms of maintaining accuracy and compliance and, and timeliness. But there is an opportunity to move forward coming out of those COVID years and the attention that the business has on it. So that 
that willingness to be bold, make bolder decisions, to ask for help along the way and to, to reach out across the organization. If I could summarize that, that sounds like a great explanation of, of why you've had such a phenomenal career in, in, in payroll and such a breadth of experience is, is doing those things and, and doing them on a repeatable, scalable basis. It's been lovely to understand a bit better your, your background and, and, and your journey. And hopefully the listeners have been able to draw some conclusions and connect to their own career and experience plan. So thank you so much. It's, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you, Graham, and uh, thank you, Mel. Thanks, Sharon. This podcast is made possible by ADP Global Payroll, giving you the confidence and transparency to transform global payroll into an engine for growth. Begin your journey at adp.com forward slash worldwide and connect with your local global expert.